In this episode of Learning Tracks, your frontal cortex isn't fully developed mm -hmm. until 25. So that whole reasoning and decision making, yeah, that's not there. <laughs> that's not there. Yes, so yeah. And so that's why I tell them too, like, so we even take it to like, I go, I know when you talk about just say no and stuff, you have to drive, but like, it's, so much more is it like the chemistry of your brain, like even sugar. Let's talk a little about sugar and caffeine. I go, you're rewiring and you're doing so many things to your brain, but that's just the science in me that comes out when I talk to them. Hello and welcome to Learning Tracks. I'm your host, Callie Alford, and I'm here with a teacher at Longfellow Middle School in San Antonio, Diana Natividad, a science teacher of eighth grade, uh, doing some amazing things in her classroom, and we're going to talk today about mindset. Diana, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So, um, very glad to be back here with you at Longfellow, and I always joke around, I know you tell me not to say this so often, but uh, there is a, a nucleus of teachers at this school that I refer to as the rock stars. Uh, do an amazing job, often, often performing at levels that they can really model things in their classrooms very effectively for the other staff members here. Uh, and one thing that I, I really wanted to discuss with you today is this idea about mindset. Okay. So um, as you know, the podcast will be using the modules okay. uh, the teachers are taking online. Um, a lot of those teachers are in their first year, and I'd like to ask you about your first year with the Vils program. Okay. Uh, when you first heard about it, what were your initial reactions? I was on board. I was, I was on board from the get-go. Um, coming from a Title I school with students that don't have the access at home, so I know when our principal had first approached us about setting up for this application, we were just behind her. Um, the digital divide is real, even though we're getting ready to go into 2020. Um, like I said, my kids at home don't have the devices, don't have the Wi-Fi, don't have the, the connectivity. So we were on board. I was excited. I couldn't get the, my hands on the iPad fast enough. <laughs> Would you say that was a common kind of mindset or decision from your other staff members? Not 100%, no. Mm -hmm. I think I was one of the few that kind of felt like that initially. So um, it took a little bit of time to get others on board, but I think that's kind of my personality. I've, I've been doing this for 20 years, and one of the things I do pride myself in is I'm a lifelong learner. And so I do keep up with the new pedagogy. I mean, I've gone through college way back. So I know what the research, I try to keep up with the research. Being a science teacher, I want to know what's out. I want to know what's um, trending. And I want to know what I can do for, to best fit my kids. So I think at the beginning, there was some apprehension with some of the other staff, but they did come around. I think it helped that because I have been here on my campus for 20 years, I am, a, I think, a, a good influencer for the, for the staff. I think that people do value my opinion and value my feedback. So I think that helped a lot with bringing in and putting the onboarding in, in place. What would you say has been the, the benefit, I guess, or what, rather what happened over the course of your, your time here at Longfellow that helped you kind of get over that apprehension that some of your teachers might be seeing now? The ease of the iPad, not having to be at the same level that everybody else was at. So when they saw someone like me who maybe was a little bit more tech savvy than others and then realizing that maybe they didn't have to be operating at that level, and I think that really helped. I think also the ease of not having something simple like papers to take home. You know, the, the platform of Google Classroom has really did, I think has really changed what, how teachers really look at um, leveraging the iPad and leveraging the different apps and the different platforms that are out there for us. So I think that was a big selling piece. You, you mentioned something I want to go back to. You said you like to keep up with the research. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? What's the, what's the reason behind that? Because I'm science. And so I think 
um, neuroscience, like that, that whole field in neuroscience and how the brain works, how the brain develops, and just how the brain gathers information and learning. It's, it's constantly changing as far as what research is showing us. And so for me as a science teacher, that's a hunger that is constantly wanting to be fed. You know, when I have students that are ranging in abilities, um, when I have students that are dyslexic, I'm just wondering what's the best strategy, what's the pathway as their educator that I can do that I can do and help them be the most successful. That's great. So I, I think that's where that's coming from. I don't. It's uh, it's certainly a great quality to have to have that curiosity to really expand your your understanding of uh, all the different things that take place in schools. You know what we can see f- physically and tangibly, and and then also what's kind of going on in the minds of our students and our colleagues for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, to that point uh, about our colleagues, I know you mentioned that you're a great influencer. Uh, what would you say has been a lot of the, um, what's been the most effective way that you've been able to help influence and get people over that apprehension? I think you touched based on that at the very beginning with just the modeling. I have an open door policy for staff members, for parents, for other students. Um, so just coming in and seeing what I'm doing in my classroom. So I think that aspect of me not just talking, but walking the walk as well. So I think the fact that knowing that my classroom is available, knowing that they can come in and see how I'm utilizing it um, really helps out. But I think that's where that kind of is set. You know, when when they hear that she's doing something or she's saying we should try this, they know that if they come into my classroom, it's being utilized. It's being done. It's not something that's just um, being talked about. Awesome. And we apologize for that bell. But if you ever wonder whether or not these podcast episodes are taking place live in schools, <laughs> there is your evidence. Very true. <laughs> um, as you've started to have these teachers come into your, your classroom, I know we often teach for these light bulb moments. But have you seen any light bulb moments with the teachers that have been coming into your classroom for visits? Um, I think I did when we were doing not necessarily this, the life cycle of a star with like the book, but I think that comes more in when we. I saw other teachers not necessarily come into my classroom, but when I was going into theirs, I was able to see how they utilize one app that I'm thinking about right now was Book Creator when I walked into the language arts teacher because they were making mini novels. And I was already thinking about a unit that I was going to be doing ahead of time. So for me, just having that open door and being able to walk through, I like anybody who is a teacher knows you kind of beg, borrow, and steal, right? So when you walk in... It's called collaboration when you're a teacher. (laughs) True, true. So when you walk in, you kind of see what can you use, what can you take, what can you leverage in your classroom. So I know when um, we were in our first year, that was one aspect that we had on our campus that able to do those learning walkthroughs and to do those observations to kind of see how it's working in their classroom. Mm So when you, you all have that protocol and that, that uh, let's call it an infrastructure for classroom visitation, what does reflection look like within that process? So when we did it that year, um, we were able to process out what we saw, kind of the wonderings. We kind of did the celebrations, and then we were able to talk to the teacher kind of um, with that feedback. But the most important aspect of that was not necessarily the feedback we were giving the teacher. That's an important component. But the most important component was the observation pieces we were getting walking into that classroom. And it took a while for a lot of the staff members to have that aha light bulb moment with our um, administration because that was her goal. 
Her goal was for us to go in and just get ideas. Yes, we were going to give feedback to the teacher we were observing, but more importantly, we were looking at the same students in another class setting and how they were being successful using that new piece of, of technology, using that device. And that's, I think, what took a while, and I want to say probably mid-second semester, mm-hmm. where it finally started catching on that, okay, so walking into these classrooms, we're able to be those kind of sign observers. And I think... Well, when I, when I think about that, it reminds me of like medical school students yeah. when they're looking at that observation deck, they're looking at the operations and they're kind of giving, it's more of a learning tool for them, not necessarily for the surgeon who's on the table, mm-hmm. right? So that's how I saw that aspect and that's how I saw it being very helpful and beneficial to the team. Okay. So you mentioned second semester uh, or, or midway through second semester. I, I, these podcast episodes are meant to be so authentic for all of our teachers so I want to be very transparent okay what was that challenge period like that led up from your initial rollout with students or teachers getting their devices mm-hmm. to that point where you really started to turn the corner what did that look like here at Longfellow um, it depended on grade level and your core um, I know like Kelly mentioned I'm science and so our department and our team were very cohesive and we're team players so for us that wasn't too much of a struggle. I think it was trying to get our other staff, our team members on board. And it was just, like I said, modeling it and having those discussions and having that collaboration piece. Um, And it wasn't so much as you need to have this done, you need to have that done. It was just learning what's going to best fit you. So don't feel like you have to be a master of 10 of the latest and greatest softwares or apps that are out. You know, find one, find two that is going to make your teaching more efficient, more um, beneficial to the students, and go with those. Uh, like I said, for me, Google Classroom was like the gateway getting into the other apps and getting into the others. And then the kids are going to come with, we use this in this math class, can I try this? We use this over in social studies. So they're going to start coming in with ideas when you start handing out their projects. But I think just reiterating that you're not going to be a master of many. You want to pick the one or two that you know are going to make the move the needle the most in your classroom and go with those. Okay, great. I, a couple more points here I want to make. I hear the kids outside and, and yeah. you all listening probably do. They're, they're getting ready to transition for classes. Um, but as you have worked through your implementation of the program here at Longfield, mm-hmm. has there been any like piece of advice or anything that's been in the back of your mind kind of just ringing through that you uh, have shared with other teachers or have helped you kind of get over any humps or challenges that you face during your implementation? So any tool that you're going to use in your classroom, you have to use it every day for the student to see it as valuable and important. So I'm going to take it even back to just my pen and paper. I have an interactive notebook that I utilize. We're an avid demonstration school, right? And so the processing in and processing out. So I use my notebook every day. I always start with an essential question. I always end with a summary and I always have them process that out. So having that strategy and that structure in place and seeing that they need their interactive notebook, that's critical. So when you're utilizing your iPad, you have to set some sort of structure, some sort of routine where every day it's going to be utilized. Because if it does, if they're not seeing it that every day, that routine, it's not going to be seen as a valuable piece of education. And it's going to be seen as that distractor or that um, YouTube, right? Yeah. That's, that's going to be the YouTube go-to. Go but if you're utilizing it and you're leveraging it in that way every day, then they're going to know, okay, I'm going to come in and do my warm-up. Okay, I know that I need to do my notes. Okay, I know that I need to set up for my um, exit ticket. But you've got to just set that routine. That's what it is. With anything, like I said, you take it back to your notebook, take it back to how whatever your class routines are, and you just slide that piece in with your iPad and you're good to go. It's having that expectation. And students will know, okay, we use our iPads every day in science. Okay, we have our notebook every day in science. It becomes that habit. 
and it, it, there's not going to be a struggle with it. Yeah, and I think if you pair that with something you said earlier about the, the one or two things, mm-hmm. that if you're, that the expectation is that you use your iPad every day, um, whether that's for that one thing that takes place in the exactly. beginning of class or yes. that one or two things that take place at the end of class and then that's it, that keeps the expectation across the students that I need to have this device. Maybe this device definitely needs to be charged um, yes. and I need it for all of my classes when that happens across the board over their schedule. Um, I'd be remiss if during this conversation I didn't bring up the, com- uh, the topic of growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that we hear a lot in education. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely something we hear a lot when we're uh, being told to, to take on new tasks and roles. Uh, you are someone who spends a lot of plates here at Longfellow, not only a science teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. You're what they call here in San Antonio District the, a master teacher. Correct. Uh, so with that, what does growth mindset mean to you and what does that look like in your practice? So within my practice with my students, I think, first of all, really letting them know that I'm here to be their educator. I'm not a, a gotcha. I'm not here to, to fail you. And so I always let my students know that when they're not successful, you got to give them that opportunity to go back and let's relearn it. What was the purpose and reason that you failed this quiz? What was the reason that the report didn't reach that, that, that grade that you wanted, right? And so they have to learn from that mistake. They have to go back. And I actually did read a book uh, two summers ago, that book on grit, and I think... Is that for, Angela Duckworth? Duckworth, yeah. yes, correct. Um, and it's a really good read because when you, when you read it, and, and for me, it really spoke to me about my students because they have this unfortunate, um, I guess, um, mindset that they're not as smart because my parents didn't go to college mm-hmm. or because my parents aren't where they're, you know, when they look at, when they're watching sitcoms, it's not typically what they see in their household, right? So they have this kind of idea of what they think smart, successful people look like. And to me, I'm telling them, I'm like, you have the most magnificent machine in the world lying between your ears. And it's my job to get that full potential. And so this idea of grit, of you try something and you fail, but you keep going. You try something and you fail and you keep going. That actually goes back to the research that shows that neuronal pathway hasn't been established. So that frustration of the failure is actually going back to that dendrite trying to grab on to another neuron and set that network up. And so always take them back to think about when you first were learning some new task, whether it be something like an instrument or maybe if you're an athlete, if you're learning a new play. Um, if you're learning a new um, sight reading in music, you know, you're kind of frustrated, but then the more that you repeat it, it becomes second nature. You know, I talk to them about like my drive home. I sometimes end up at home and I don't really know how I got there because it's so routine. It right? comes it, transparent. It, it comes transparent. So, so with that, with my students, that has really changed their mindset about, okay, I can do this. I am intelligent. I am smart. It's not about that first initial failure because we're all going to fail. It's how you respond to that failure. Mm -hmm. And then I talked to them about grit. And I know um, in the book, one of the stories that really um, stood out to me was the students that attend West Point. One of the major factors that determines whether they're going to finish their four years and be successful is their grit factor. Mm. Not their IQ, not their SATs, not their recommendations from teachers, but the actual grit factor. How determined are they to get it done? And when I see that and I tell my, my students that, I go, you know, you guys are coming from sometimes some pretty challenging homes, some pretty difficult environments, but that perseverance and that keep going attitude is what's going to make it. 
You know, I always call them my little diamonds in the rough. Right now you're undergoing this, this pressure and this extreme heat and this extreme uncomfortable, difficult environment. But at the end, you're going to come out shining bright, mm-hmm. you know. And so I see that with them. Um, it's harder in, in adults. I will say that, you know, the adolescent brain is more plastic. There's it's more, more room for that conditioning that's taking <laughs> exactly. place. Exactly. Their frontal cortex hasn't totally developed yet until mm-hmm. that 25. So it's a little bit harder when I'm dealing with my peers and my colleagues. But the way that you change their belief is through, through that modeling. And then the adults have to walk into their own epiphany. You know, it's kind of you have to get them to model it, model it. And then once they try it once and they have that little taste of success with the new strategy or with that new device or with that app, then they, it's going to become a habit. But you, it takes a little bit more on the adult side with my colleagues versus then with my kids. My kids are all on board. You know, it only takes a little bit of success for them, and they're hooked. So, yeah. All right. Well, I know you have a class coming up, and yep. I want to get you out of here on one last thing. We want to end every episode uh, by giving teachers some praise. So we'll end this, this episode with some shout-outs. Uh, you have some time to, to shout-out your colleagues, talk about all the great things they have going on here at Longfellow. Go for it. All right, so we've got um, Coach Reyna. He is doing a magnificent job. He's got a community service project coming up. We're an IB school, so there's a lot of initiatives that our district has. And so that's going to be something really great. I know, unfortunately, with our current um, status with the nation with mass shootings, so one of the things that we're going to be focusing on is kind of writing letters and giving them some support to letting them know that they don't stand alone, letting them know that they that we see them and we see them as not just survivors but as thrivers. So that's one great thing that we've got going on. I've got my science department, who actually not only are they my science teachers, but we've got three of them that are actually coaching volleyball this season. Oh, wow. So they're taking on a great task. Um, I've got all my master teacher crew that we stay here beyond 6 o'clock at night, working super hard to get those extended hours and get our kids on, on grade level. So we've got a lot of good things going on with our, our school. We've got a lot of um, great teamwork happening. And I'm super excited to be part of the team, as always. This is my home. This is my community. I've been a Spartan for 20 years. Don't plan on going anywhere. So my students know me as a, as a mainstay here on, on Spartan Nation. Awesome, awesome. Well, Diana, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I, this has been a real joy to, to talk to you and hear about all the things you have going on and, and hear about how mindset looks like in your, uh, in your practice. Thank you so much. All right. So, uh, everybody, that's been our episode. And as always, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to your associate directors of professional learning or to your VILS coach. 